Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 1971's THX 1138. I'm Kyle. And I'm Sophia. Back from Don't Worry About It. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, I, I gotta say, I listened to the, the, the last episode and I was really impressed. Really, we had, I know we had a lot of audio difficulties, which was unfortunate, but... Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, like, I... Okay, I do not like the conceit of Pleasantville at all, but you made it sound like a movie that I might not hate watching. So, well done. Oh, nice. And do you want to address Team America World Police 2 Space Jammier? So, actually, I was going to do that off audio with you because I oh, think okay. that was probably the the funniest thing I've heard in a while and <laughs> I like it. Nice. So, THX1138. Kyle shared some initial thoughts with me <laughs> after seeing this movie that a lesser person might have taken as him actually shouting at me for having chosen the movie. <laughs> I can't be too mad because I've made Sophia watch some atrocious movies with Down and Derby and, in her opinion, Killing Hasselhoff. I like that one, but that's beside the point. Oh, I still owe you one. And don't worry, I've got it in the barrel. Yep. Boom, boom. All right, so all I said, if you'll recall, was that this was a classic, iconic movie. I never once said it was good. My problem isn't that it's bad. It's that it's boring. Okay, that's fair, it's not the most exciting movie ever made, but there, it, the, the, the point is that it's boring, and we'll get to it. But okay. before we do, I do want to talk a little bit about the way this movie was made and some of the history that goes behind it and some of the technical aspects, because I think they're really cool. I'm not sure they're super relevant because of the time period in which this was made and released, but there is some interesting stuff going on here. So, okay, this is a George Lucas movie. He had just gotten out of, I think he had just gotten out of grad school and Francis Ford Coppola, yes, that Francis Ford Coppola, and he decided to put together a kind of an indie film studio in San Francisco. The idea was that, you know, they liked making avant-garde-ish films, films that were, you know, cerebral. And that was not the direction that mass market films were going. So they established this studio to kind of continue making avant-garde work well past that particular time period. And this studio is called American Zoetrope. And THX 1138 was the very first American Zoetrope movie. And it was based off of a script that George Lucas had written in grad school, and it had won several awards. So he and Francis Ford Coppola kind of like got together, workshopped it a little bit. A couple of other people were involved. And they took the finished product and they let Francis Ford Coppola talk the guys at Warner Brothers into financing it. Okay, so if you're a tiny studio, you're on a budget, Warner Brothers just lent you some money to make a movie that they're expecting a return on. So you want to make this thing on a tight-ass budget. So you're filming with natural light. That's, that's one thing that George Lucas did here. All natural light. Yeah. Interesting. It seems very fluorescent. Well, parts of it are. But... This leads to some problems. A lot of the movie is very dark. So filming with the more or less industry standard camera at the time uh, called an anamorphic lens, it didn't do dark as well. You needed more light coming in. 
So they decided to film with a spherical lens instead. And they used a technique called technoscope. So this actually ended up like cascade savings because technoscope, so spherical lenses, you tend to get like an aspect ratio of like 1.33 to 1. So it's almost square. And the way that you turn that into a widescreen film release is you cut off the top and bottom. Unless you use the technoscope film. Technoscope film stock is about half the size of normal 35 millimeter film. Oh, interesting. So yeah, normal 35 millimeter film, each film cell on the on the film stock is four perforations deep. Technoscope is two perf. So okay. it's automatically like you're shooting this square thing, but it's already compressed. So it's already in a widescreen format. There's also some like funky stuff with like the, the way the lenses focus and there's you get different effects in like lens flares and so on. I feel like I'm I'm sparking something here. I know. I feel like I've told you this before, but in college I worked in an IMAX theater. Mm-hmm. And we worked with 70 millimeter film. Yeah, big fat film. Big fat film. I think probably six, maybe eight, if we're doing math right, perforations. IMAX is typically eight perf, yeah. Yep. Something interesting is I believe my boss told me that 35 millimeter has the sound encoded on the film somehow. I don't get how that works. Oh, there, there's little perforations on the bottom. Okay, interesting. I 70 think. millimeter doesn't do that. So the way 70 millimeter film works, like those big IMAX dome theaters, is someone has to sync the soundtrack to the frame count. Oh, neat. I would figure it'd be the other way around. Like, you know, that feels like, you know, a, a step in the more advanced direction is to integrate yeah. film and sound as opposed to doing it the other way. I know. It's very odd. But I did mess up once because I forgot to reset the frame count before the movie started. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. Which, fortunately, I caught it as soon as, as soon as it started. I was like, oh, I messed up and had to fix it. But I apologize. That is a diversion from talking about all the cool technical stuff that Lucas did. Yeah. So, so this ended up, you know, saving on editing because the film was already, you know, widescreen, even though it was shot in this like almost square format or with a camera that normally shoots in square format. It saved. So with the spherical lens, you get more light through the aperture. So you're at like a T-stop of like one or, or 1.3 to two as opposed to an uh, anamorphic, which is more like 2.3 to 3, I think. So there's a lot of really interesting reasons why this saved money. The other is because it was in color. And the prevalent technology at the time was Technicolor. Okay, Technicolor is you take a camera and you, you have the light pass through a beam splitter and it projects the image onto three different film stocks. One for red, one for green, one for blue. And then those negatives are painted with their complementary colors. So I think cyan, yellow, and magenta. Oh, okay. Uh, and then they're pressed onto a blank film stock to create a color print. So typically, so, so when you buy film stock, you're not buying just like for, for early like color that was, you know, before like digital capture and stuff. You were, you were paying for more than just one. Like you would have to buy three times the film. Well, two or three times the film, depending on the color process you would use. So this was filmed in Technoscope and Technicolor, something that I noticed on the title card. Oh, so where's the dream coat? <laughs> right. 
So, so the technoscope thing was just the, the spherical lens that, that you know, brought down the cost on lighting, and it used the technoscope to per film. And then the technicolor, so if they were shooting this in normal, like you know, the average 35 millimeter, you would have had to buy three times the amount of you know, 35 millimeter four per film. Now they, they cut that in half by just getting the two perf stuff. So there were a lot of cascades that ended up saving them money. Hilariously, and I'm just going to go ahead and spoil this for everyone. When this movie was finished and Coppola and Lucas took it to Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers immediately wanted their money back. Just. <laughs> mm. But, you know, American Zotrope carried on and they continued making films that were pretty avant-garde. And this movie actually draws a lot from the dystopian literature of the past and also went on to influence a lot of things that happened in science fiction, especially the dystopian variety, up to and including today. Right. I believe this was George Lucas's second movie that he wrote and first one he directed. Is that correct? I think that's correct, yes. Also, you might recognize... The three letters THX if you've ever watched a movie and have the loudest sound imaginable blasted into your ear holes. You have seen this. Everybody knows that fucking thing and hates it so much. I am of the opinion that George Lucas is very skilled, but only at technical stuff. Okay, that's not so, giving him that's not giving him enough credit, honestly, because he did do some stuff with Star Wars. Star Wars, though, was saved by his wife. That's that's true. That's true. I will say, if you like exactly zero people, were following my tweet thread, my live tweet of this movie as I watched it on Friday, you would notice I made a quip about "lol." This is the movie that George Lucas wanted to make because <laughs> leading up to. I, I so I you know rented this on YouTube, and before the credits started, there was a brief trailer for a Buck Rogers movie. Fun fact: Star Wars was supposed to be a Buck Rogers movie, but he couldn't get the rights to it. Huh? I didn't pick up that that was a trailer. I thought that was just a thing that was in the movie, and I was like, I don't entirely know how this relates, but okay. It doesn't. For sure, it's Ooh. just a trailer for a Buck Rogers movie, and that's. That's George whining about the fact that he never got the rights for Buck Rogers. Incredible. But wow. this movie, yeah, we're jumping in now because we spend a good amount of time on history. This movie starts with a reverse Star Wars crawl <laughs> with an infinitely worse soundtrack. Okay, lay off the soundtrack. No, it's no, iconic. No. It's, it's fine. It's not John Williams. No, it's not. It's not by a long shot. My opinion is that the best thing about Star Wars is the soundtrack, so... That's fair. Cancel me now, I guess. I don't know. Well, so the thing about this particular movie soundtrack is even if you've never seen this movie, you've heard the soundtrack. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It is impossible to fully explain how influential this movie has been on science fiction. So, yes, long ass opening crawl. Ridiculous opening crawl. It front loads the credits, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, so you get you know the ending shot, which is beautiful, just and that's it. Yeah. Something to keep in mind as we talk about this movie is this movie was rated PG. The PG-13 rating did not come into existence until the mid-80s. So that's just fun to, fact to keep in mind. Yeah. Yes, we open on 
several telescreens showing us all kinds of stuff. And it looks like there's a production line and there are people operating remote manipulator arms doing crazy shit. And drugs are important. Drugs are super important. Not like in today's America. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped forward like 10 seconds. There, <laughs> The opening scene is a lot of people opening their like their medicine cabinet that's you know still apparently in the future behind your mirror. And there's an automated voice that says, hey, what's wrong? And most people are just like, nothing, never mind, go away. There's a line in here that gets said once here and once later that I thought was very funny because of its structure is, have you now or have you ever been? That's all they say. There's no follow-up to that. Just have you now or have you ever been? Cool. Mm, no clue what that means. <laughs> well, I mean, philosophically, it's, it's yeah, an fucking interesting question, but, Yeah. Am I thinking when I'm like extremely high on all of these sedatives? Mm. Arguably not. After that, we see flashes of like a control room where this production, we, we get the, the sense that it's like controlling this production facility. And there's like a factory floor with like workers doing remote manipulator stuff. And they're putting fuel rods into the heads of something. We don't see it yet. Something robotic. Something robotic. And one of them explodes. Whoops. Shit happens. Everybody's high on sedatives. Nobody cares. And a voice comes over. What? Is it clear that this guy's our main character? Would you say? Not yet. Not yet. I mean, we know the title of the movie and they do pass over the inter- uh, over the radio THX 1138 back off. Right. And then he's not doing it. And like it gave me serious anxiety just straight out of the gate. But his area did not explode. It was a, another sector. And they're like, congratulations, you have less deaths than our neighbors. It's like, cool, maybe don't frame it that way. And we go back to the control room to see a woman who is clearly distressed, but like trying to keep it together. And okay, this Molly something, I can't remember her name, but this is La. Or L-U-H. L-U-H, yeah. So... I love that this is made in 1971 because the technology in this movie is so old. Maggie McComey. That's... Yeah. So I I noted in my tweet thread that like, it's like Apollo is like, you know, still ongoing during this time. And that's why you get like all of the, you know, control Capcom kind of communication. We're two years out from the moon landing. Like that's not that far. (laughs) Moon landing was in 69. Yeah, this oh, yeah, okay, so two years ago. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so, out so, away from. Okay, yeah, so this is brand new stuff. Like, this is this is what is considered high-tech at the time, even though today it sounds like, you know, dinosaur shit. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm fine with the video quality being bad. The audio quality is what really fucks with me. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. So we also get kind of like, flashes of this third character who we'll find out later is named S-E-N. Okay, everybody in the future does not have an actual name so much as they have a three-letter designator and a four-number surname. So THX-1138 is our protagonist, but L-U-H, I didn't write down her number, and S-E-N didn't write down his number, 57-something. 5793, maybe? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Those are our primary characters. Those are the people you got to keep track of. THX is Robert Duvall. Yes. Very famous actor. Very famous actor. 
I was under the impression that he was born at age 70, but yeah, he's, he's, he's looking young. He still has the very typical Robert Duvall, like heavy eyebrow ridge, and his eyes are kind of sunken a little bit. Iconic look. Yes. Importantly, everyone is bald. Hmm. So I think yes. that actually makes him look a little older. Yes, that's, that's fair. I think with hair, he would look a lot younger. Although I got to say, in this era, he was going bald kind of a lot. Like oh, yeah. I mean, his other major role in this, in this, like his the role that you would know him in these days from this era is as Colonel Kilgore in Apocalypse Now. And he, I can't remember whether he was bald or buzz cutted, but one of the two. Well, after that fun old explosion, THX's shift is done. Yeah. So uh, this movie gives us a lot of liminal space, like. Long, lonely hallways that always appear empty, no matter how many people are filling them. And we get some, like, some views of just, like, mindless consumerism. He goes into a store and buys a red icosahedron, and that's... I didn't even pick up that he was buying it. It looked like he was, there was, like, an enrichment center. It's like, you go in, you grab a polygon of some kind. Or polyhedron, I guess would be. Yeah, no, that's consumer. Like, I guess. And then he goes to a church. This is great. Yeah, it's it's a phone booth with a picture, like an icon picture of somebody who's meant to evoke Jesus. This is Jeebus. <laughs> oh, Jeebus, yeah. So, so this, this, this Jeebus, you confess your sins, I guess, to it, or your problems and difficulties to it, and it tells you that everything's going to be okay with several stock phrases. Including, be a good consumer. Or something like that. Well, he got his little red thing. It's okay. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> you walk in and everyone goes, Norm! Because this is a place where everyone knows your name. <laughs> hey. So, Thex comes home. Oh, by the way, his his short name is Thex. Like, we're, we're Thex, La, and Sen. Mm-hmm. So, Thex comes home with his little red thing, having done his confessional. We'll come back to the confessional. And... Basically, he sets his little red thing on the, on the, like, he completely ignores his mate, La, and, like, goes to take a shower in which he doesn't take off his clothes because it's a dry shower, and then sits down for a wank. That was the funniest fucking thing. Okay, sex is outlawed. That's very important. Sex is not okay, but obviously there are some, like, workarounds in place because humans are sexual creatures for the most part. And, so basically, it's this this hologram of an African woman who is dancing in what I'm assuming is supposed to be an erotic fashion. Sure. And a machine. I okay. I can't believe the words are coming out of my mouth. A machine comes out of the ceiling and starts jerking him off. This would not be out of place in a dairy farm. Yeah, this does not look like it's fun. This looks like it's functional. Yep. Something I picked up here on the second viewing, because I actually I had to watch this two times to understand what the fuck was happening. Mm. Sen has a similar job to La in that he watches the monitors of this. I believe they call it the complex or maybe the compound. The shell. Yes. So he, he also watches monitors, which is how he knows about stuff that will come into play later. Yeah, so I also want to like highlight that because that's a very important point. We'll come back to it. <laughs> In a sec, yeah. Yeah. 
but La is messing with Thex's drugs. Yes. So La here looks like Maggie McComey, amazing job with the face work here. La is very expressive in a way that nobody else is. You can tell she's like having trouble with something. Originally, my first time I saw this, I thought she might have been addicted to one of the drugs that she was like that the state forces her to take because she asks for a refill, an early refill, and the request is denied by the little voice in her medicine cabinet. So she switches some drugs out off of Thex's dinner tray. Okay. All right. This movie suffers from a very rare condition in which there's not enough exposition. Fucking did it, George. You fucking did it. What a pioneer. You champion you. (laughs) (laughs) So what we don't see is that she's taken away one of his sedatives so that he would underdose and start feeling emotions again, which is what she's been doing this entire time. Right. She does replace it with a different pill, but presumably it has a different effect. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So none of this is like, this is all stuff that you have to intuit. Yeah. And so you see it and you're like, okay, I guess now they're both emotional and they're making out and it's nice. I thought it might've been a dream or a, like a daydream. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I do have to point out one thing. Cause this was also insane is that, Thex finishes with his other thing and switches the channels and he lands on a hologram of a police android just kind of slowly hitting a person who's on the ground. It's like cops, but more lethargic. Yeah, this is this is what Fox News will be in the future. That's what Fox News is now. <laughs> yeah, it's not that far off. This is just this is just slightly more sedate. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, the mindless, inane entertainment, sexual purity enforced by law, medicine to keep you from feeling stuff. This is a good old fashioned dystopia. Clearly inspired by kind of a mix of 1984 and Brave New World. I got a lot of 1984. I had not considered the Brave New World, but that makes sense. Yeah, with Soma. Yep. Yep. So yeah, from here. They talk about like how they, they actually care about each other now, but, but he has to go back on his sedatives because he has a very delicate work procedure coming up. And La is afraid that he will turn her in the second he stops feeling. Here's an odd thing is that, one, they get down and dirty. And yeah. La's concerned, like, they're watching just a, like ephemeral, ephemeral? I don't think that's the right word, but abstract them, they are watching and Thex is like, no, they're no, it's fine. It's like, buddy, how long have you lived here? You know that like, or maybe he doesn't actually, maybe he doesn't know that there's cameras everywhere. Lifted straight out of 1984. Yeah. Like almost verbatim. It's actually a little embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is definitely not the scene where they're like, they rented the room from that guy in the, Troll quarter and used it to bang and whoops there's been a telescreen there the entire time dun, dun, dun. yeah so spoilers for 1984 <laughs> yeah so after this well help me out i can't really recall sorry we jumped ahead a little bit did we very slightly because there's we do see the people a whole fucking boardroom of people watching them bone 
Like this is oh yeah, this is a cam show on the world's third worst monitor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so now you have to tell me what the other two are. I don't know. Presumably something that's literally broken. <laughs> Fair enough. I meant the monitor, not the cam show. <laughs> Fair enough. It is absolutely the world's worst cam show. Right. So at this point, I think the next thing that really happens here is... Oh, I do have this. They're walking set. Fex is about to go to his job and Law has been summoned by Sen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they have an argument that I'm sitting here like, both of you guys are feeling things. That's illegal. And you're doing this in public. Why the fuck are you doing this in public? Emotions, man. They'll fuck you up. Something that I feel is kind of important is no one seems to be in charge. Like, there's not a head person. Yeah, that's true. Or there kind of is. It's the computer. Which, by the way, the movie that I'm planning payback, you know, for for killing Hasselhoff. Hell yeah, let's go. Alphaville. We're going to we're we're oh. gonna we're gonna we're gonna get there eventually. Okay. Like there's very few references to the computer. So like it sometimes feels like, oh, there's not really anything at the head. That's okay. Yeah, but therein is, you know, the interesting the, the the interesting twist in this, you know, world building exercise is that yeah, there's nobody in charge, but the computer is still telling people what to do. So computer's in charge. Right. Sen is a shady bitch. Cause he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna manipulate things to my benefit. Sen, you motherfucker. So yeah, so I think is this the point where Vex has to do his technical thing? Well he meets with Sen first. Oh that's right, yeah, yeah. And Sen's apartment's getting cleaned out. Yes. Because apparently his mate had been doing the exact thing that La has been doing and got liquidated. <gasps> so they don't fuck around. <laughs> Right. And they have this conversation. Okay, so it's not super clear what it is Sen does. I mean, it's clear that he works like in in the surveillance apparatus of the state, but other than that, it's not super clear. And when we see him in this, it's not like it's not clear that this is Sen's apartment. One is tempted to think that it, this might actually be Fexen Lo's apartment. Well, cuz it's all uniform and shit. It's it's all exactly the same. Nothing's marked. Great for budget. So he comes in and there are people like taking shit out of there. And I thought it was the secret police had caught them. And Sen was the O'Brien character in all of this and was interrogating them, which made his smiling menace just that much more effective while I held that belief. Turns out this is not the case, but we'll get there. Yes. Sen, apparently, because he doesn't have a mate, wants Fex to be his roommate roommate exactly and he says that like he can make that happen and Thex points out that housing rooming is done by the computer so Sen is hacking which is a violation is it though they call it program shifting oh yeah but here's here's a relevant question that I want everybody to hang on to you can tell he's the guy who does the surveillance who are you going to tell right so That being said, there are a lot of people who do surveillance. That's true. (laughs) So there's this like really menacing conversation that kind of like hints that Sen knows what Thex and La have been doing. Where he suggests like very casually, like, you know, you have to make a couple of adjustments, you know, 
do what you have to do and move on. And it was really clever, I thought, because it very strongly gives you the impression that he's he's of the state apparatus. Right. One thing that struck me as odd is that Fex like rushes out because he's not having it and sends like, we could be happy. And it's like, hey, everyone's super suppressed because of these pills. Appealing to happiness is probably not the best move. No, nah, probably not. But it also suggests that perhaps Sen is not as conscientious with his pill routine as he perhaps should be. Now we get Fex doing his job. And again, his job is to load radioisotopes as power sources into the heads of what we now know are police officers. The police officers are all robotic. They have polished chrome heads. Well, I mean, their entire body is polished chrome, but like no eyes. Like they have like the shape of a nose and a, and like no mouth, but you know, it's very unsettling. It's like if you put like a party city mask in place of the face. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So his job is to load two radioisotope power sources into the head of each officer. And this has to be done extremely carefully because if you drop them, they burn through the entire containment system. And efficiency is a premium in this society. Of course. Now, he's understandably nervous. And because he's off his drugs, that's coming through a lot more in like, I believe it's like a heartbeat monitor. Yeah, so they're monitoring his heart rate and adrenal responses, and they notice that it spikes. And so they're like, all right, well, we have to shut it down. We have to shut this guy down. And there is a system override of the shutdown command that just like blanks his brain. And then the controllers override the override and shut him down anyway, causing him to drop the radioisotope, which starts eating through everything. This, to me, was the biggest condemnation. Biggest and clearest, I should say, condemnation of bureaucracy. Mine too. My tweet on this was, even in a perfectly efficient bureaucracy, still trips on its own dick and dies. Holy shit. And of course, there was one middle person who was actually doing like the button pressing and trying to get confirmations from everyone. You know what I'm referring to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And after everything, and they end what they call the mind lock on him, he... Snaps out of it, picks it back up, stops it from doing any more damage. Meanwhile, while he was mind-locked, everyone else evacuated because, holy shit, this is going to blow. So after everything's been fine, the person who actually flipped the switch goes, we here at location designation do not take any responsibility for any mishaps or something. It's like, oh my fucking goodness. Yeah, that that to me was just moi. Yeah, so at that point, Fex is arrested because everybody knows now he's off his meds. And there is a trial of sorts. I didn't understand what was happening in the slightest. I had an inkling of an idea of what was happening. So basically, the prosecution's argument was that he's off his meds and therefore a sexual psychopath and, you know, sexually immoral. And the counter argument, the defense argument was that, hey, look, it's economically inefficient to remove this guy who's been doing his job for however long. The prosecution then argues that matters of economics should not interfere with matters of religion. So we're basically seeing like a religious freedom argument play out in the future as seen in 1971. (laughs) 
One thing I didn't understand, and maybe you can illuminate, is I believe the defense says like he was a like a natural born or something. Like he wasn't cloned. I missed that. I, I somehow I missed that. It was just like one line, real quick, something. Anyway, they ultimately decide not to immediately liquidize, vaporize, whatever the hell, kill him. <laughs> Execute. Yeah. But he is going to jail. He he is going to jail and he's going to get worked over hard conditioning they're calling it. Mm-hmm. So he spends some time in a perfectly uniform blank white room with no discernible walls, ceiling, or floor. They use this for like 20 minutes and I'm shot. Like I'm kind of impressed that they managed to pull this off because it is perfectly white void. Yeah. And the robot cops come in and abuse the shit out of him while saying, oh, we're only trying to help. Don't struggle here. Let me help you up, et cetera, et cetera. Are you now or have you ever been? Are you now or have you ever been? And then they they put him in with the general population. And so here is an interesting little thing because... There is one thing in between in which he goes into like a checkup. Oh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I truly don't know what's happening. It's like it's a fully automated, full body checkup. I didn't quite understand this just watching it and I found out from Wikipedia... Apparently, he has a bad kidney. Yep. And I was like, cool, all right, whatever. So they can't, like, liquidate him for parts. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. And then he goes back to the void for some more torture, and they send La in. And Kyle, I've got some bad news for you about this reunion. Yeah. This is more torture. Oh, like emotional torture. La is pregnant. Oh, yeah. So this is a tactic that was used by several dictatorships in the Southern Cone, that would be Chile and Argentina, during their military dictatorships. You can only scare a person so much by threatening to rape them, but threatening to rape their family members is apparently persuasive. Yeah. And this was utilized a lot under the Galtieri and Pinochet regimes. To pivot in a way more ridiculous direction. So he got... Technically, he got arrested for not being on drugs, but I'm going to say got arrested for having sex. And then what does he do when he's in prison? He has sex. And it's like, all right. Okay, so, so, all right, this <laughs> directly before this, and this is not important at all. It's just very strange. Directly before La shows up, he's undergoing a series of, it's similar to the mind block where instead of just blanking him out it forces him into stress positions which by the way is also torture so we we see like voiceover or we see this all through telescreens and the voiceover makes it sound like this experienced guy is training this new guy on how to operate the torture device and it is the most boring training session in the history of the world while we're watching Fex just writhe in what we have to imagine is pain. Mm-hmm. Then Law comes in and they fuck. And my, you know, I, I noted here that like, and the techs get a floor show, I guess. Yeah. And then Fex gets put into general population. Gen pop. Yeah, that first day in gen pop. Okay, so I want to talk about this because Sen is also in there because just before he got arrested, Fex reported Sen for violations. So Sen got arrested too. And, sorry, go ahead. I have a quick line that's a, a not right joke. 
Of all the square feet in all of the white voids in the complex, Sen had to walk into mine. <laughs> oh, boy. And Sen does spend like the entire time all up in Thex's personal space. Sen is such an annoying bitch. And I do enjoy watching that. I would roundhouse kick him in the face if I had to deal with it personally. Oh, Kyle, I'm about to make that worse. Excellent. Many of Sen's lines in his frequent over-aggrandizing speeches were lifted from none other than Richard Milhouse Nixon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) So, in case you're wondering whether you're supposed to like this guy, so, yeah. Do you remember The Good Place Season 1 where they do, The Bad Place shows up and they do quote-unquote karaoke? Oh, shit. I, I, I remember... Like that setup, but I don't remember how the joke was. The executed. joke plays out that the the quote unquote song they choose is one of Richard Nixon's speeches, <laughs> yes. and it's specifically the one. It's like the American Jew needs to choose whether he is an American or a Jew first. It's like oh, Richard Nixon. Oh, oh, oh I hate it. I hate it Fuck so much. Butt face Nixon. <laughs> uh. Daniel O'Brien once said of Richard Nixon, Oh, your face is scrotal meat. (laughs) Right. So the thing that I wanted to talk about, though, in this is Sen comes immediately to talk to Thex because Sen is absolutely butt over as in love with Thex. And Thex just stares. And like, okay, I didn't spend all that long in solitary. When they let me out, I was straight up like, I will rip the face off the first person who says a goddamn word to me. So this whole thing where Thex is just aggressively ignoring everybody and doesn't say anything is normal. Like, that's that's what solitary does to you. Solitary confinement, by the way, is torture and I will die on this hill. So, yeah, we get a bunch of speeches. Yeah, here's the short of it. None of this matters. It's sen aggrandizing, maybe. I don't even know. Well, yeah, self-aggrandizing. He's trying to be a revolutionary, and it's like, no, you suck. And then there's an old man who basically just, like, owns him in this puttering way where it's just like, nope, you're being ridiculous, man. I thought like you when I was a dumb youngin. But then Thex decides he's gonna, you know, go off on his own and find an exit and somehow find La, and then something. The Virgin Sen talks about leaving. The Chad Thex actually leaves. (laughs) So I will say that before they do that, they bring in a little person who is identified as a shell dweller. And this sort of like indicates that there are ways to live outside of the city proper. So that having been said, Fax is like, all right, well, I'm grabbing La and then we're going to live like actual people. Something that it's very hard to catch in the movie, but I did read on the Wikipedia summary. Apparently the shell dwellers are also called Wookiees in this movie. Yeah, that they are. (laughs) That they are. I mean, I don't think it's ever used in the in the movie. I think they say it once over like a radio, and it doesn't oh. really connect to it being a shell dweller. It's a weird thing. Okay. So so yeah, so Thex just starts off and it's unclear how big this void is because they just keep going basically forever until they see a person off in the distance. There is a man and they draw him over, and the guy's like, oh, hey, it's great I saw you guys. Oh, is that food? I'm going to grab some of that food. Pay attention to that. We'll come back to it. 
And the guy's like, hey, and they're, they're like, hey, you know where we are? He's like, yeah, of course. We're just walking in a straight line. Is there an exit anywhere near here? He's like, no, you guys were walking around in circles, but there's an exit right over there. And he just like points off to the side. And sure enough, there's a door. It's like a blinking light. Yeah, it's a, it's a blinking light. And, and they go, and he's like, here's a door and opens it. And alarming is probably the best way to describe what's on the other side of his door. It, it is foot traffic so dense. I live in Manhattan and I work like four blocks from Times Square. I've never seen foot traffic this dense in my life. Truly. This is insanity. To give a little thing, I don't know who this actor is that's playing the gentleman they found, but he looks kind of like Charles Barkley. A little bit. This is Don Pedro Cali. All right. Which is to say he is tall and black. Yes. So they lose track of Sen in this crush of people and kind of like duck into a side door next to the containment facility. And this is a room full of supercomputers and assorted doodads where they have a little bit of expositive conversation. Yes. One thing I picked up in this section, don't remember who said it, don't remember the exact line, but it was something about how the world changed very slowly that people didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like, oh, incremental change does work, but maybe only for fascism? I mean, I don't know. That seems to be the message here. <laughs> but yeah, we also learn that this, this tall stranger is a hologram. He's a hologram. It opens up so many questions about this world, because I guess he's a hard light hologram. You'd have to be, because he ate some of their food. Yeah, and also, how the fuck are you going to arrest a hologram? I mean... Just, just shut him down. Therein lies an... Well, but shutting it down is only one punishment. you got to think like a computer. If you want to punish somebody, you want it to last as long as possible, right? Mm-hmm. So you lock them away. Okay. It, it highlights a difference in this society's view on, you know, crime and punishment, which is not all that different to the way we consider crime and punishment, because... We are, as a society, rock hard for executions. And the point of an execution is not to punish, but to rid society of a dangerous element, ostensibly. So it is preferable in this society and in THX's and Thex's world to rid society of those problematic elements sometimes. Like, seeing some of the prisoners, you're like, I don't know what the computer is thinking here, because... Like, a couple of these guys, it would be much easier to just execute them and be done with it. What is the point of keeping this person long-term? As liberals or leftists... I'm a leftist. Yeah. Love to point out on Twitter, cruelty is the point. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. The cruelty is very much the point here. Yeah, so apparently this hologram's terrible crime was just being too much... Like, I don't know. He says he gets, like, stuck on a loop, which I guess means he, like, a glitch in the programming, so he keeps repeating the same thing or something. Yeah, I think, I think what, what, oh, no, okay, so, so what I think happened was that he, he noticed that that would, like, that's the normal way that, that holograms work, because he does a program. Oh, okay. And when he recognized that he was stuck in a loop, the computer was like, ha, nope, no free thought here, and okay, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So I don't know how any of this is supposed to work. 
But they, they decide, okay, well, we're going to go get La, and then we're going to escape somehow. How the hell does this actually work? It's the slowest fucking chase through this server room. It's a leisurely stroll. And while you feel tension, it is still slow moving. Yeah. And the, the cops are extremely polite to each other. Mm-hmm. Like unnervingly polite to each other. So since Sen got separated, we then see what he did. He apparently takes a train to the end of the line and tries to leave and then gets freaked out when a lobster crawls by him. To be fair, it's more of a scorpion than a lobster. Okay. And that freaks me out. Yeah. If I saw it, I got off a train and saw a scorpion, I'd be like, you know what? I think I'm I think I'm good back in city center. Fun fact, the captions I saw said rat squeaking, and I'm like, okay. I guess that's a rat. <laughs> so fun fact about that. The sound effect doesn't change when they cut back over to Fex and the SRT, the hologram, mm-hmm. walking through the server room. Their shoes make rat sounds. God, I love this movie. <laughs> this is a great movie. This is, one, this is an amazing fucking movie. It's fun to talk about, but watching it is so painful. Yeah. Yes. But Sen like, is like, nope, I actually changed my mind. I'm not going to leave. Yep. And he gets back on the train. We cut back over to Thex and SRT, who are talking about, you know, how they're going to rescue La. Mm-hmm. They've locked themselves in a, in a room that has a control station in it. Not really clear what this room is for, but then again, it's not really clear what any of these rooms are for. Correct. And Thex starts going through the system trying to find where they're keeping La, and they are keeping La desiccated in corpse form in a mason jar in another room. So I took that a different way because I'm informed by what the Wikipedia says, which is that that is the fetus that she was pregnant with. If that was the fetus that she was pregnant with, then why does La not appear at any other point in this movie? Because presumably they took the fetus out and then killed her. I don't know. Or this inspired the Matrix where they feed the dead to... Right. The young. That's how I saw it. Yeah. Oh, also, it also inspired the Matrix Reloaded in that, like, when they're when they're having sex in the in the void, mm-hmm. it's a little bit difficult to tell which bald headed white person is which, and that's like there's you know the scene I'm talking about in the Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, I actually thought when you brought up Reloaded, you were going to bring up the fact that they give someone a cake that makes them come. Oh, is that a thing? I missed that. The Merovingian? No, uh, I mean, I got, I know that uh, scene, but like, where's that in? No, that's movie? not, that's not in THX. Oh, okay. I, Damn, that would, that would have been badass. Like, uh, yo, yes. give me the cake that makes you come. I want one of those. Instead, you get a weird tube. Uh. <laughs> no. A few other things that happened. At one point, we cut to like one generic control room because there's our, they're all generic control rooms. And they start talking about budget. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is actually really interesting. Because in the society when where efficiency is king, they have to, like, even for police chases, they have an assigned budget that they have to stick to. And the budget for this chase is 14,000 credits. So they have 14,000 credits that they can expend on trying to recapture effects. And Sen as well. Sen is included on this. Apparently, they haven't noticed that the hologram is missing. I guess not. Before they get to the control room, they go through a place with a bunch of bodies on, not quite gurneys, but like lab tables. Oh, yeah. 
And I guess I'm assuming this is something, some organ harvesting thing, probably. Yeah, that, that's what I think. In any case, these are dead bodies. And yeah. there is a person who comes around to tag each of the dead bodies on the ear with one of those, like, cow tags. Which is how Thex gets the tag that we see in the poster. Yep, and also how he gets busted here, because as it turns out, it really fucking hurts. Oh, yeah. And he he yelps and jumps off the table and runs for it, while this this lady is just like, never seen a dead body jump up and, <laughs> and make a run for it before. Nope. Sen is trying to seek absolution because he is talking to one of our Jeebus wall panels, except it's not in one of the usual spots. It's like in a, it's freestanding in like a building. Yeah. And a monk comes up to him because I think this is actually a film studio where they do the propaganda stuff. Oh, that makes sense. And he's doing his, his absolution routine at this thing. And a monk comes up to him and says, Hey, you can't do this here. You got to go to one of the booths like everybody else and like tries to, you know, get him the help he needs, but he doesn't have his state mandated name tag. So he's in violation. And then Sen, it's unclear, but I think Sen kills him. He chokes him out and it takes in, it's like one second hands on throat and then the monk is down. It's like, I get that you're trying to say he killed him, but also that's not how that works. Yeah. So Sen is back on the run, and this time with additional crimes on top of just escaping and what he did before. And he decides, you know what, I think I'm probably pretty good, and just sits down on a bench and watching some children play. And one of the kids comes up to him and says, hey, can you help me fix this thing? It's a bottle with a tube that is shunted into his bloodstream, and it's labeled Advanced Economics. So that's how they're teaching kids. Like, and, and that's the, the bit of exposition we get here is the way they teach kids is to inject them literally with the knowledge. That'd be kind of cool if that was real. That, that would be kind of cool. Only if it were this style where like the, the bottle like is strapped to their arm because Sen says, yeah, back in my day, you had to lay down the entire time. And the bottle was, was you know, this big. It took a week. Yeah. That would suck. That could hypothetically be chalked up to... Back in my day, we had to walk uphill both ways in the snow, and we liked it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the cops find him sitting on this bench, you know, being nice to these kids, and uh, arrest him. So, Sen's in the bag. It's a wrap on Sen. That's a hard wrap on Sen. Meanwhile, Fex and SRT find some cars that they decide to hotwire. SRT has a lot of trouble getting in the car. <laughs> Yeah, SRT is a very tall man, and this car was not built for tall people. So he, he gets in the car eventually and can't really get it started. Fex somehow manages it and then just, like, tears ass out and is, like, waiting for SRT at the, at the gate to the police station because they, they hijack police cars. And SRT, the cops are closing in on him. So and then he figures it out and drives his souped-up fucking car directly into a pylon and we presume either dies or gets rearrested that's a wrap on srt we have about that's 20 minutes SRT. left of the movie holy crap yes we do so the rest of this is a very neat car chase slash foot chase spoiler alert nothing really impressive happens at this point the yeah. cops bust their budget chasing chasing thex they get to a point where 
like the car overheats and like craps out. So Thect has to start climbing out of this escape hatch to the outside world. And the cops are chasing him when they finally bust their budget and they're told to, you know, retreat and call off the chase. And the cops are like, we have to turn back now, but this is your last chance. We only want to help you. You can't survive outside the shell. And we're not exactly sure what that means exactly. And then Fex comes out of the ground and there is a gorgeous desert sunrise or set. It's unclear. I went with set and I was like, hey, I know this shot. Yeah. Binary suns. Yep. Yep. It very, very. (laughs) Yeah, it's that. And that is the movie. Cool. Yeah. There's a lot happening under the hood, but from a narrative perspective, it's very simple. So let's talk about some of that stuff that's happening under the hood, shall we? Yes. Kyle, you go first, because I have a small mountain of things to talk about. I I really don't know, because I've seen so much in the 50 years since this movie has come out that says the same stuff, but clearer, mm-hmm. which is just like, one, don't trust computers to make all your decisions, which is very funny coming from me, a data analyst who loves machine learning. <laughs> But also just be like wary of government control type of thing. One thing I thought was a very good inspiration that came from this was the TTRPG Paranoia. This is set in what's called the Alpha Complex. And you have the like computer that controls everything. Reproduction is outlawed. It's only, it's only cloning. You're supposed to turn on your players if they do something that's against the rules. So it's like a very hostile environment that you're working with, which is very different than how most TTRPGs play. Okay. Yeah, I've I've not played that particular TTRPG, so that's interesting. I've not played it myself. I've heard a playthrough of it. I, I didn't know it existed. So... We need to talk about, first off, let's let's talk about the religion of production. So their religious practice here shuns almost every kind of, of social experience in favor of production and consumption. And we see that their confessorial, the confessorial nature of the religion is a method of state control. So we see that, you know, here it, it's saying to me that like, you know, capitalism will tie in with religion and state power given a chance. So, you know, it, it points out all of the poisons in capitalism because one thing that we didn't quite touch on here is remember when Fex buys the little red thing? It is set on the table and he goes to have his shower and his wank and then La throws it away immediately. It was purchased specifically for the joy of having purchased something. And that's the only fulfillment that these people are allowed in their lives. It is the platonic ideal of capitalism, and it's disgusting and should not ever be allowed to happen. So let's see. Police brutality is a spectacle. So spectacle is used by capitalism as a distraction from the actual problems, or or is used by capital as a distraction from the actual problems that capitalism is causing. What's the Latin phrase? Panem and a circes? I don't recall. It's bread and circuses. Oh, yeah. Exactly, yeah. One thing that kind of... Okay, there is a... One of the things that, that Fex watches is clearly an advertisement for a car with two black fellows on it who 
behave in a very specific way. It reminds me a little bit of a racist caricature popular in Western media of the, I want to say it was like the late 1800s, early 1900s called the, and I'm so sorry for this, Gollywog. If you've never had the experience, count yourself lucky. But essentially this this trope character, this stock character is a black man who is very self-confident and like engages in things like public speaking, but uses words wrong. And everybody just kind of like goes with it. And it's, this is what passed for humor at the time. But the way these black guys are, are like, you know, talking about this car. That sounds like a Tracy Morgan character. No, because Tracy Morgan, like his characters are almost always like mentally ill. Whereas the Gollywog okay. is like just ignorant. Okay. Yeah. Copying the language, the language of their and I'm using huge air quotes here, betters, was kind of the, yeah. This whole thing makes me extremely uncomfortable to even talk about, just so we're clear. But that, I I saw it, I was like, ah, holy shit, are they doing, God, this is terrible. I'll be honest, that whole section, I kind of just blanked over, because I was like, okay, he's watching the equivalent of TV. Mm -hmm. I don't think anything's going to be valuable here. No, that it was it was like super important to point out that this is like the end state of capitalism. The last thing I want to talk about is the tension between liminality and the panopticon. There's a title for or well, a subtitle for you. So, as I mentioned before, like there's a shitload of liminal space in this movie. Like everything in it is like it's empty, it's it's full of people but it's kind of haunted. It, it, it feels very lonely. And that's, you know, I think that's intentional. So contrasting, so a liminal space has that feeling where it's like it's lonely and it's like a place where you, you know, pass through to move on to a new section of experience. So it, it's a, it actually comes from the Latin word for like a doorway, a limen. Oh. Yeah. So a liminal space is supposed to be like a transitory space. So, so this, this creepy emptiness isn't meant to last forever. However, the society that they live in is also almost an ideal panopticon, wherein it, you can't be sure that anyone's watching at any given time, but at any given time, someone could be watching. And this is meant to enforce proper behavior. Obviously, it doesn't work. But if we examine the idea of the panopticon, it is extremely stagnant like you you don't ever move on from that it enforces this ideal and then that's all there is forever which is in tension with the concept of liminal space being a transitory space so they managed to find this this mix between the two that kind of makes you feel like this is not the way things are supposed to be this is uncomfortable this is awkward and like you know you get that feeling like we got to go we got to go we got to go but where and how. So those are the things that kind of like stood out to me. I mean, we talked about things like, you know, the contrast between the boring ass training on torture and seeing it through the telescreens. Also, you know, how much this is taken from and contributed to other sci-fi things. I think I'm good. Are you good? 
I got one last thing on the subject of the Panopticon. This yeah. is expressed in THX 1138 as the bureaucracy. And because bureaucracy is made up of a network of people, it's not a singular person, it's very hard to hold people accountable. So hypothetically, in a Panopticon, the idea being that prison with like one guard that can do a 360 view, in that example, hypothetically, someone could eliminate the guard or hold, in this case, hold them accountable for this awful conditions that have been enacted. However, if it's a distributed network where there's not a centralized location, you don't, it's a lot harder to get out of. And this is actually my anti-NFT rant. Yeah, I was about to say, this movie <laughs> prefigured the entire cryptocurrency market. Yes. <laughs> George, buddy, you nailed it. I, yeah, I realized that when I stumbled on the phrase distributed network, I was like, oh, wait, no. <laughs> now, the, actually, I was like, oh, no, the panopticon of, of cryptocurrency. Here we go. Let's fucking go. Which, I I almost hate to advocate for centralized banking, but yeah, but but crypto ain't it, chief. I will advocate for regulation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, crypto is a, a libertarian nightmare that has always, from step one, been a security disaster. Wherein <laughs> the idea is, you just put everything in the open for everybody to see, and somehow that just eliminates the need for trust because everybody already knows everything. But like. No, man. Obviously not. But also, there's not really a way to verify. There's a whole thing I saw of like, oh, what if you could put your like credentials on the blockchain and make hiring easier? That would be idiotic. Yes, it is. But it's also like, hey, in that case, who's verifying that those credentials are real? <laughs> that your curriculum vitae's are not just a bunch of bullshit you put out there so that you could get a job? You know, I haven't forged anything since high school, but if that becomes the way we do things, I'm going to get back in the game. Exactly. It's like, oh, blockchain is idiotic for so many reasons. I, it's, it's so ancillary to what we were talking about, so I think we do need to move no, on. This is the point. Like, okay. Capitalism continues to bring these solutions that only enslave us to capital. Like, That's the entire thesis of the movie, if you really dig in. So like... No, I think it's very apt that we're talking about fucking crypto because it's the latest in a long line of dipshit capitalists who are also, surprise, surprise, libertarians, mm -hmm. finding solutions to problems that only exist in their tiny pea brains. Do you know, you know Ubisoft? Unfortunately, I am aware, yes. Yeah, I unfortunately like a lot of their games. <laughs> that is unfortunate. Yeah, I, I was really into the Assassin's Creed series for a long time. My friend was telling me they wanted to do like DLC cosmetics on a blockchain that would only be within Ubisoft's network. That is the dumbest shit. It's public, but only if you're on Ubisoft's network. And it's like, but why? Just have a regular ass marketplace like TF2, you idiots. Functionally, it would be the exact same thing. It would just create more work on the back end. Yeah, and it's worse for the environment. It's like, oh my fucking goodness. So much worse. Oh, okay. So I think that's it. Ratings. Ratings. Sorry, I have two. I have more general thoughts that aren't. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. First Sorry. off, boring. Fuck you.
this movie was fun to talk about, but it, a big part because of the lack of exposition, you're left like flailing trying to understand. And so you're just like, well, I'm bored doing that, so I don't want to watch this movie. Well, but also, as I kind of alluded to, that is a little bit of the point. It, it makes well, you thanks, George. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned Maggie, last name, doing a great job as La. And I'll say Robert Duvall, although he does not speak that much in this movie, is also doing a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Maggie McComey and Robert Duvall made this movie. And then finally, I'm really glad I read the Wikipedia summary between my two viewings so that I at least had like some key points to latch on to in the story. Mm-hmm. Now we are at ratings. Ratings. Okay, Kyle, I think I already know the answer to this, but yeah. enjoyability, one to ten, what would you say? I'm giving it a one. <laughs> <laughs> I, Listen, it's, I understand that it is a good movie. It is influential, but it is not enjoyable. <laughs> That's fair. I'll give it a honestly a four because yeah. I mean I'm not gonna sit here and claim it's my favorite movie, but you know it's it's got a cult following now and like it's fine. It's a fine movie. Okay, yeah. so that is actually more fair than what I'm saying. Yeah, but you didn't enjoy it, and this is enjoyability. So, yeah. all right. So obscurity. Who? That's tricky because as we said, this is a. 51-year-old movie. It is quite old. That had a lot of names attached to it that between then and now became extremely famous. But it in and of itself was not that much of a mainstay. Yeah. I'm inclined to go seven. I feel like seven is, uh, you know, a bit generous to it. So I'm going to go with eight. So this... This, it had a limited U.S. release. It didn't make its money back, yeah. <laughs> which, which put Mr. Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas in a bit of a tricky position financially. But it didn't make its money back. It was not well received by the public. Mixed critical reviews. Roger Ebert noted that the film looked washed out. And that's a, that's a consequence a little bit of the, the technoscope technique or the camera. It captures, like, it's incredibly sharp, but it also has that problem where the colors are not as vibrant. So I would say probably eight. Yeah. I guess people could be like, hey, I like George Lucas. I want to see some of his other work and stumble This is better than American Graffiti. Yeah. I actually have not seen American Graffiti. People talk a lot of big talk about it. It's not that good. This is a better movie. It's just like people in a town right it's not like sci-fi it's just people yeah. living their life yeah it's that's what it is cool all right okay so. as we end our episode we end of course with our pop culture pop outs a piece of pop culture we have been interested in as of late and want to talk about for a while Sophia, why don't you start us off so i want to talk about the podcast opening arguments It is a law podcast that originally billed itself as an inquisitive comedian paired with a real life lawyer. And, you know, it would explore legal issues kind of, you know, in depth a little more than you typically get. Like normally the lawyer's response is it's complicated. I don't know. But Andrew Torres, the the lawyer on this podcast, goes into 
great deal of depth. And right now, they just released a two-parter on Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter and why it is not, and all of the ways it could go south for you know either party. And it's, it's extremely interesting. It tells you more about the law than you would have known otherwise, and is sometimes extremely comforting because the law does insulate us from a lot of the things that we see on Twitter and immediately go, oh my God, that's bad. Kyle, what do you got for us this week? This week, I have a movie that I saw recently. It is not everything, everywhere, all at once, despite the fact that that is such a fantastic movie. This is a movie that is almost baffling, but is also surprisingly good. This is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Here's all you need to know. Nick Cage plays Nick Cage. I assumed this was going to be a super self-aggrandizing movie, and it was, or self-indulgent is more what I meant. Was I wrong? No, it super is that. But it is also a legitimately good movie. Nice. Yeah. Sophia, where can people find you online? There's a link tree in the description. Big notes are I am terminally online on twitter.com at Hamilcarrenina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I'm on Quora, Sophia Helena Maestatricht. I'm on Medium, also Sophia Helena Maestatricht. And on Medium, I have Queering House, my queer film analysis project. I just recently published an essay on Contempt by Jean-Luc Godard. And it's it, it certainly is. It's a movie. Kyle, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Kyle the Giggles. I'm on Tumblr, Letterboxd, and Twitch at Hebrew Hammer. I just yesterday streamed a trivia game that I put together, which was a lot of fun. Oh. I forgot to put it like basically anywhere, but I did announce it at the end of the last episode. <laughs> Whoops. Awesome. If you would like, there is a link at the bottom of our show notes where you can leave a voice message to appear in an upcoming episode, whether by leaving your own pop culture pop-out or talking about the movies we watch. But if you want to talk about the movies, Sophia, what are we doing next time? Next time, we are doing The Ten, a movie that I am... I'm worried that I'm going to have to put another tally in my revenge counter. Yeah, I... I don't remember this one being spectacular, but it was enjoyable. Okay. Well, I'll take your word for it, although I took your word on Down and Derby, so... Derby's fine. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please make sure to hit the subscribe button, rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Tell your friends we love to get more ears on the show. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye! Bye! <laughs>